are back with another Black Window Cream podcast, new episode every single Wednesday and Sunday. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Realverse World, and this is episode 197. Today's guest is director, cinematographer, and superstar Steadicam operator Thor Wixom. This episode is exciting for those who have ever wondered what it's like to be a Steadicam operator on major productions. Thor has worked with every artist in the game, from Chris Brown to Megan Thee Stallion, Marshmallow, J-Lo, G-Eazy, and a ton of brands. Right out of the gate, we get into a super interesting discussion about gimbals versus Steadicam. He shares the history of the Steadicam and how he believes both pieces of equipment can create different results and serve a purpose in the industry. He shares about his experience running Steadicam on the Justin Bieber visual album Changes the Movement, where they created 15 music videos and how he was able to experiment with multiple forms of Steadicam techniques across all of the videos. He shares about how being a Steadicam operator with rhythm can make you more of a valuable asset on set, especially in the music video world. He shares a story about owning one of the first 100 red cameras ever made while taking $250 jobs at the time, driving home the point that sometimes working for free or cheap and investing in yourself is the best resume builder. We cover so much in this episode and I'm excited for you to hear it today. Also, if you didn't know, a few months ago we recorded a four-hour live stream seminar with the crew behind the Justin Bieber Changes music video series. Sadly, we weren't able to have Thor on that stream, so it's exciting now to hear his insight today on the podcast, but we did have the director, executive producer, producer, DP, and production designer on to discuss their roles in creating the series and share stories about the process. This stream had over 400 people in attendance who were able to participate by asking questions, and it was just so exciting to see so much education shared with the community. If you want to check that out, the full replay is available on our Crowdcast. The link is in the description of today's episode. But anyway, if you are new to Black With No Cream, you're probably wondering. What the fuck is Black With No Cream? Great question. Black Window Cream is the illest educational resource for content creators fueled by caffeine. Or at least I take my coffee Black Window Cream, but you can drink or not drink whatever caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We have thousands of members from all around the world working together by sharing content, asking for feedback, passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth. And you can join our private group if you want to by going to bwnc.com slash join. We would love to fucking have you. Please join. Yo, and last thing I want to say is I want to remind you that the commercial cut challenge submission deadline is coming up on July 12th. I'm stoked to see who brings the heat on this contest and walks away with a brand new Samsung 49-inch ultra-wide curved computer monitor. Like, yo, I might enter this contest or, or maybe I just need to fork up the money and buy myself one because the screen real estate on that shit is gonna be wavy. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, that means that you don't listen to every podcast episode and you should, but uh, I'm going to fill you in. We partnered with Epidemic Sound and director Mike Parentu for a video editing contest. We're challenging you to make the illest 30 second edit using just Mike's footage and Epidemic Sound Library. Epidemic is giving Black Window Cream members a 30 day free trial so that they can compete in this contest. Don't worry, you can cancel at any time. So if you're a video editor and you think that you got what it takes, you got the, you're going to flex and you want to show us how much sauce you got when it comes to video editing, then you should enter this contest. The link is in the description below huge shout out to epidemic sound for putting this one together and without further ado i bring to you my episode with thor and the most epic podcast intro ever created right motherfucking now attention if you stop this podcast recording at any time you will die i don't want to die do you want to live yeah you have 24 hours to share this podcast with five people or you will die. I'm kidding. You won't die. You're just weak shit for not sharing. And the winner of the best motherfucking podcast goes to... Goes to... 
black with no cream. What do you think? It's so fucking dumb and so fucking Ben Haggerty. I knew you would say that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, guess who's in the house? Thor. DJ Horns, yeah, that's right. What's up, bro? How you been, man? Been really good. Dude, been excellent, actually. I think out of all quarantine, uh, you're the person I saw putting in the most work. Well, I lucked out. I got a gig with Insomniac. They're the production company that runs uh, Electric Daisy Carnival, the EDC in Las Vegas, right. and then the uh, Beyond Wonderland and all that. Um, and I've been shooting for them, and they decided to do podcasts throughout the whole quarantine to, uh, as a service, basically, to their fans, to their community, um, because that's a community of people that really goes out a lot on the weekends, and now they have nothing. Right. Uh, and a lot of people, like, their whole social life just revolves around going to different electronic music uh events mine included so yeah. uh yes i worked uh, i worked out on the weekends and then didn't really have anything else until like um maybe a couple weeks before we officially came back right i had like two music videos but yeah i've been working yeah you, and you said that now that kind of they're lifting the the whole production you know quarantine phase i guess has slowly rolled out you've already gotten like nine solid days books so thank you so much for giving us a few minutes to chat on the podcast bro yeah, for real, appreciate it. this is my first day off <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> nine right. days. well hell yeah shout out to you i think what's so cool man is like since i moved i moved to la i think five years ago maybe and I think you were on one of the one of the first Chris Brown music videos I was on set for with like Andrew Sandler and since then I got to watch you work and I've been on several sets where you were just crossing paths I think even before I understood who you were I like saw you moving and, and gliding through fucking frame and I'm just like this dude is such a beast dog and you have such like you're the nicest person on set too uh, so uh, I, I'm excited to talk to you bro <laughs> but for real I, I think that there's so much we can cover and you've worked with so much talent and so many different brands and, 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 and artists alike and from all different spectrums. And I think there's so much to cover, but I think what's interesting, and I told you this off camera is like in our community, I think there's so many run and gun creators who are fairly new and, and are, are working their way up or have made it to a certain level. And most of their experience only leans on the gimbal world, right? Where the steady cam world is a completely different beast. Um, I've only ever worn the vest one time and I had no idea how to keep that fucking thing balanced. It was terrifying. <laughs> so, so it's pretty incredible, but I'm, I'm curious to hear, like if we start with it, um, what, how, how do you see the gimbal world and the steady, steady cam world? Like what's, what's your opinion from a, from a proper steady cam operator? How, how do you feel with the steady cam or, uh, the, the gimbal, uh, I guess industry booming? Yeah. Um, can, can we go through a little bit of the history of, of, uh, Please. like the whole thing? I would love to. Um, so steady cam was invented in the late seventies and back then the cameras were incredibly heavy. And um, it was basically like the, in the movie Rocky, there were a couple of movies that came out around the same time that, had, that it featured like the quote unquote first city cam shots. But the most memorable of the early shows was Rocky running up the stairs in Philadelphia, his, his triumphant uh, training, getting ready to, uh, to box right. uh, for the championships. And um, yeah, the, it was just like it, it kind of had to be designed a certain way for that time period. And then it basically Steadicam really did not evolve very much uh, for almost 30 years. It's basically, you know, very similar to the original design. And then we hit when cameras started getting smaller and smaller and lighter 
uh, and then the electronic gimbals. Um, I remember seeing um, the Zenmuse, which was one of the first DJI gimbals, and it was just you know they were mounting like small cameras, like micro four thirds cameras, right. um, to the gimbals, and then mounting them to the uh, drones. And I was so fascinated with that. And immediately I started thinking uh, about different ways to use that tool because most people know me as a Steadicam operator, but they don't realize that I'm, I've been a director of photography for 27 years and I've been in a Steadicam operator for about 12 now. Mm. Uh, Steadicam just sort of like landed in my lap and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. But the whole thing with the gimbal, um, I was really happy to see that technology come out because I'm pro anything that pushes the medium, anything that pushes um, our ability as storytellers to tell a story. And then I saw uh, that the gimbals had come off the drones and were now being used in a handheld application. I got worried, mm. honestly, when it first came out and drones, I mean, uh, gimbals definitely dug into the Steadicam market at first. Uh, and I was happy that the technology was there, but I was a little bit concerned about how it was gonna affect my income. Um, so I started gimbal teching, uh, with a movie Did you? and I, I've, I've, I actually really love what the gimbal is and how easy and efficient it is to use. Um, touching on what you said, like, you know, what are some of the differences, um, with a gimbal, you really, you, you're, if you're a single person operator, you're more or less at the mercy of. Uh, how quickly the gimbal can react to what you want to do versus like, uh, let's say if you're doing narrative work or even if you're doing like, uh, uh, like a music video, like a hip hop video, dancing choreography, you kind of, you can kind of learn the moves and you can anticipate when to like, you know, turn it so that it uh, reacts at the right time, but you have to know in advance because mm. there's a delay. Right. With Steadicam, everything's just absolutely instantaneous. It's also very difficult to put the bigger uh, camera, the Alexa, the Alexa LF, um, putting those cameras on a gimbal is, um, you gotta have like, a, you gotta have basically as much gear on your body to run the bigger cameras for long takes as you would if you were just running steady cam in the first place. Right, and at that point, um, I feel like the price point starts to get up there to the point of where A, you right. would just hire an operator and, and the rent the gear versus obviously yeah. some people like to own their own shit. So, but when you start carrying heavy gear and heavy lenses, like you end up, you're spending yeah. close, you know what like I mean? It gets close. Like yesterday I ran a, uh, a Canon 30 to 300. And then I had a, like a, I took the new this M handle and I have a little part machine. So I put the nucleus M handle wire it's wireless and you just put that right on top of uh, my steady cam uh, handle. So now I can control my zoom from the handle and controlling the steady cam from. Wow. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's but the, uh, the, the gimbal versus steady cam thing. It's like, they're just, they're very different tools mm. and, um, there's, there is some overlap between the two, you know, methods of camera stabilization. Uh, I, I'm not going to say like one is better than the other. I just feel like they're different tools. They need to be used for different purposes. Right. Um, as it turns out, uh, there was a brief time when I was losing jobs to gimbals, but then I think that producers, directors, NDPs, and even gimbal operators started to realize that there is a very, like a, a different approach and that where, uh, gimbals are not going to do everything that a steady cam can do and a steady cam can't do everything that a gimbal can do. 
I absolutely love the shots where you take a gimbal and one person's operating handheld and then like you can like literally somebody could be on on like there's that, that early video of the, the dude on rollerblades yep. and comes behind the taxi and hands the camera off inside the taxi. Yeah, it's the illest. <laughs> that was it. yeah. I know. I, I remember watching that and just geeking out like holy shit, the fact that he could literally be on rollerblades with this and how smooth it looked. It looked so insane. Yeah. That that was obviously that was everyone's first peek into this shit. And I think it's come so yep. far and early on, maybe some of the bigger issues were you're trying to haul it around and you're trying to run bigger cameras and the batteries can't keep up and the tech would have so many issues where a lot of the times I feel like on bigger sets, you're relying on speediness and, and the professionalism of being able to get a camera up and running. And when all of a sudden a gimbal's going down and you're having to figure out why it went down because it's brand new tech, you're killing time that you could have been shooting yeah. and, and that becomes an issue. So I'm sure there yeah. are so many ways that people have balanced it for me. Um, running like from a one man band standpoint, like on, uh, I just did a tour with Beyonce like, uh, last a year and a half ago. And when I went, I was running gunning. I was doing a lot of different things. And one of the things I would like to do is try to get a couple like cinematic moments on during the show, but was limited on the gear I could have on me. And so I would bring like a Ronin, uh, SM, uh, the, the smaller one. I don't know why I can't think of their name right now. Ronin S and uh, like a, a DSLR. And I was able to get a lot of shit, but I think what I see is a lot of people lean on that. A, they lean on it. They don't even take the camera off it anymore. No one will shoot handheld when they're, when they're like the one man band operation. But I feel like what I've noticed even on bigger sets is that there's this, the way it floats through air is just different and cannot hit the same as a steady cam. In my opinion, like if a camera's moving in and pushing over, I see this up and down. I know I'm using my hands for anyone who's listening to this. I'm sorry, but like you you have this bobbling thing that happens, you know what I mean? And, and you just don't see that with steady cams. yeah, it's it's this. Yeah, it drives it's motion, nuts. and that that comes from the it's the it's the footsteps, mm-hmm. and you you have and in Steadicam you isolate your hips, um, and you can do sort of the same thing with the gimbal, but also just like where you're holding the gimbal, and then the camera wants to you know is 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 uh, positioned down from where your hands are, approximately where your hands are. This is eye level. Right. This is really hard for your arms to hold for a long time. Your arms are more comfortable resting your elbows against your body because then you have more support. Right. But then the, the angle is always looking up at talent, like up at the chin. Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know, being eye level or slightly above for the beauty shot. Um, so, and then, and then with Steadicam, because you have the, the arm that uh, stabilizes, you basically, um, you don't really see the footsteps of the Steadicam operator. And you're uh, way more likely to see that with a gimbal. Yeah, I've noticed that. And I, and I think that a lot of people, for me, I understood that that was happening. So I really put a lot of effort into understanding how to f- make my body become this weird shape when I shoot with that thing to try to avoid yeah. that bounce. I hate it. And I feel like I've gotten pretty good at avoiding <laughs> it. But I see it happen a lot of times uh, in a lot of music videos where I think people go that route because maybe it's cheaper. Like with the budgets, yeah. maybe a lower budget music video, they'll be like, oh, well, this person has a gimbal and they can fly like whatever and we'll just work with it. But you notice that type of shit. It drives me nuts. I'm like, oh, it could have easily been avoided if you would have gone this alternative route. And that's what I appreciate yeah. so much about the way the st- the stake him can just do so much magic and look so, so ridiculous. And you can run it for a lot longer of time. Like, would you say it's yeah. when, I mean, obviously, like you just said with a, a gimbal, you're holding this thing so high and, and you're balancing it. It can be just it just beats down on your body no matter how you hook it up but with you with the steady cam how long do you feel like you can run in a singular take if needed uh before you really start feeling the wear and tear 
Well, um, I've done several takes that have been over an hour, one take without breaking frame. Jesus Christ. God damn. <laughs> um, and I've done, I've done multiple concerts. I did a Diddy concert at the forum a few years back where the total length of the program from beginning to end was about f- almost four hours. And I only broke frames, changed battery and media. And even then I still held it on my body for most of those. Uh, so, we, so we could just like get in and, you know, get it changed and get back out and not lose the picture. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I, yeah. Envy you. Cause I, I doing it for Coachella. I, we ended up having, um, Alexa mini on the, on the M 15 and I had it hooked up to a backpack to be able to send a wire signal and I'm running. I, I feel like I never set it down and my bat, like, I felt my muscles change shape. Like they had to like bend my back from rehearsals. Cause it was just, and I, same thing. You don't want to shoot low and at the top, like if you're shooting someone like Beyonce, I'm, I'm trying to get eye level. So I'm really doing this shit. Cause I'm not a swole boy, man. I don't hit the gym as often as I wish I did. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. The gimbal is your gym. <laughs> that is, is facts. I did feel much better after, after I finished that. I, I'm curious to know for people who are interested in getting into the sport of, of operating Steadicam, like what, what would be some steps that you would advise people to take, uh, just to get in? I, I know it's expensive, right? So what would be some ways that you suggest to anyone that's interested in getting into the, I guess, hobby at first and then taking it into like a career level? Cause it is hell of an investment. Well, the very, very big first, uh, camera stabilizer I ever had was a glide cam. Mm. And glide cams are not really, um, they're not really looked at favorably in the industry. Um, like I've actually, I've seen a, like in their early days, I was responding to Craigslist ads just to get enough uh, business as a steady cam operator. And I would see Craigslist ads that would literally say, uh, <laughs> no glide cams. <laughs> However, like the glide cam is the lowest cost of entry to have a, uh, like an arm that has uh, two stages of articulation um, and it's, it's, it's a way to get in. Uh, so I, I had the Glycam V8 was the very first system that I had and I bought it and I used it. I, I, my career started in action sports. So I used the Glycam for action sports and I used it for about six months and then I put it away and it just wasn't as effective for that, that genre as I would hope. But that was my first, uh, foray into it. So you can find those pretty inexpensively. Um, also, Steadicam has some uh, some lower cost um, systems, uh, but you can buy you, if you really know what you're doing. You could, you could probably pick one up for uh, like maybe around five or six grand right. uh, used. Right. And then uh, and then you really need to like you need to test it out. You need to like really like watch tutorials, um, learn as much as you can about about the, the craft. And then just try it and make sure that you really legitimately feel like you can handle the physical part of it. Because we talked about the, the differences between the physical part with gimbal and we haven't really talked about the Steadicam side, but Steadicam is also very, very difficult on your body. Hmm. Like I just came off of nine days of work and I got to say, like, I need a couple of days to recover. Literally. Um, it's hard on your back. It's hard on your, your legs. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal, especially when you're, you, when you're working these really hard jobs. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you, I'm curious, like, especially when, 
some of those situations can be so high pressure. You're working for someone like Diddy. You need to be filming for four hours or you got, you've done videos with Katy Perry or JLo or like top tier talent, Chris Brown, people that are just long hours, long days, trying to pull off magic, you know, with whatever resources you have. How do you find the balance uh, and communicate that? Cause I, I, someone may just run steady cam for like three, four, three hours in a row. Like, let's just get all these shots out. And at a certain point you're like, yo, I need to like, I really do need to stop for a second or stretch or whatever. How do you deal with those high pressure situations? Well, I just ask, I just, I, I, I try to, uh, if it's a, an AD director DP, I haven't worked with before. Um, I'll have that conversation with them. I'll say, Hey, um, you guys aren't thinking about this when we're shooting because it's not your body in the sled, but there may come a point where I might need to put it down and just take the weight off my body for a few moments, let my body reset. Um, I'm kind of known as the guy who doesn't really set the sled down and I get, um, feedback for that, uh, from other steady cam operators, um, because they feel like the, they don't want the bar to be set so high that they're expected to do that on shows that they do right. where I've worked with th those producers before. And my response to that is just that I think everybody has a different level of physical ability and what they can withstand. It's up to the individual to know what that threshold is right. and not allow that to be, um, overlooked by production, but it really helps to talk, to have that conversation up front mm. with, with your AD, uh, your director and your, your DP and maybe even your producer. Right. And, and then for you also, if something's, something goes out of whack, right. Uh, and you got to sit there and go back and dial it in and figure out how to deal with that is, are you, are you ever, it's important for you to make sure that's dialed in before you go up. I know some people are like, we don't care. Just get it up. And maybe it's unbalanced, but are you <laughs> going to get a different result? How do you deal with that type of, of uh, feedback on set when it's happening? I just say, if you want the shot to look right, we're going to have to do it right. Right. We're going to have to make sure that this is balanced correctly. I had a situation just yesterday, actually, um, shooting a video for uh, YG, Tyga and Snoop. And uh, we, during we, we staggered our lunch because of the COVID thing. Um, and I left and I came back and I had said to the ACs, Hey, let's just put my dovetail plate on this uh, build. And they did it, but it, uh, it, because of the way that the mini LF cage is built, it didn't quite seat right. Mm. So I went to balance and I spin my sled uh, to find my balance points. And when I did that, the entire, here's the, here's the plate, right? right. That the camera sits on and, and here's the camera. And when I tilted it like this to check my, uh, my balance, the camera slid on the plate. And I knew that flipping it over the other direction means it's going to slide the other direction. Right. And so just that, even that tiny little bit of movement was going to throw up my balance no matter what I did. So I basically stopped the whole thing. They weren't happy about it because we had sun rays coming through these windows and we were about to lose them. Someone's going to go down. But I just said, uh, if you want the shot to look right, um, I have to do this. Right. And so a lot of it's just like communicating clearly and knowing they're not going to like it, but standing your ground and doing what you know you need to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're going to appreciate that shot much more with it looking the way it should look versus a exactly. spin out of it in the middle of it. I, I, yep. I think that it's also... You know what's cool to watch is I, I don't know I feel like several times I've seen you just randomly DJing on set in, in between <laughs> takes 
you, you'll have yeah. your little setup and you're just in there DJing the music ability and having it, uh, a way to understand music at that level, right. Comes into play. And I know we did a live stream and I wish we had, could have had you on it. It was like a last minute send that we did, but we did a live stream with everyone that was a part of the Justin Bieber music video series, uh, yes. changes. Yes. And you had a huge role in that. And one thing that we were talking about with, uh, Nick who directed it, he was talking about your ability and love for music. So did Andrew Sandler and how that came into play. And it really helps dial in a steady operator who can understand rhythm and bring rhythm to set. And I think that's so cool. I would love to hear more about, cause I know you talked about a, a one take video you guys did that really relied on rhythm and understanding the shots and the, the setups, but being able to glide through that to the pace of the music as if Justin Bieber shot it himself, if he could, uh, how, how does that play a part in the way you create? Hey guys, this is Ben the host of this podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Thor. Thor is awesome, if you can't tell already, and I'm glad that we had him on. Uh, I just wanted to break it up to tell you about some dope thing that we started implementing for the podcast. Uh, we have a lot of Black Widow Cream fans, and we love y'all to death, so we got a phone number, and the phone number allows you guys to reach me. You can shoot me a text, say what's up, chat, ask me questions, whatever. I literally hop on this thing every single day and try to fire messages back. But on top of that, we're also kicking out weekly motivation and lessons that we learned from the podcast and giving it back to y'all. Um, I think this is a great way to open up the communication to the Black Window Cream family and get rid of all the algorithms trying to trying to take the man down. You feel me? So anyway, if you want to join it, you can shoot us a text, 319-209-9041. There's a link in the description below. It's free. It's not some spammy bullshit. It kind of looks like it, but it ain't. You're literally just talking to me. So if you like me and you want to say what's up, I love that. And it's been great to hear so much positive feedback about the podcast directly on text so far with everyone that's in here. We got like almost 500 people texting me right now, which is crazy. So anyway, let's get back to this episode with Thor. Oh, it totally plays a part. Um, the DJ thing uh, and music production. Um, so especially when it comes to choreography, because, and, and I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about the choreography, but I'm also thinking about what an editor is going to do. Now, if it's a one take video, there's no editor, but I think about that in, in scenarios where I know that this footage is going to be cut. Um, so what I do when it's, with the choreography is I basically memorize the moves and most choreography is done in sections of eight counts. Mm-hmm. So five, six, seven, eight, and then you go into the next eight count. So I break it down and I actually count the music as I'm operating. So I know exactly where those transition points are going to be. So like we'll be on, uh, we started out with a couple, uh, we did a, uh, in this video for Justin Bieber, we did a full 360. I think that was either two or four, eight counts all the way around. We come out, we pick up another couple. There's an eight count that eight count. The next eight count brings us to another scenario. So I'm like, I'm literally counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then make my transitions when the dancers do. Mm. Um, so understanding music and understanding the way that it, uh, um, is written, the structure of it, it helps a lot. And especially, and this is something I would recommend for any steady cam operators who are listening, gimbal operators, anybody that's doing camera music to the timing of the music, count it out in your head. Don't just get lost in the sound, but actually find your, your downbeat for the eight count, count it out, and then anticipate where your transitions will be. So it's either a transition in the choreography and I stay on that angle like a wonder, or uh, if it's like, I know that uh, editors like to cut on the downbeats and the upbeats, 
So like if I start like a big sweeping shot where I'm like doing like a push in like this, like I'll back up and I'll be ready to go on seven and I'll actually start the move on eight so that I, because I know that editors don't like to cut on a still frame. Right. They like to cut when it's already moving. Yeah. So I start moving, I start moving on the count number seven, we get to eight, I'm full, up to full speed. And by the time one hits, my frame is perfect. I'll even give myself a few extra feet, like five or six extra feet as I'm about to do my push in. And I'll start that move so that when the downbeat hits, that's where the editor would cut. Yeah. Um, so I just anticipate things like that. Well, it's crazy too, how, when you really think about it, how much you have to be considering from as the operator, how much you're considering from other roles. You have to think of what the director really, really wants. You have to think of what the artist is going to really, really want. You're thinking from the editor standpoint, cause I know you, and you do all these other roles, you do them at high yeah. volume. So you're doing all this shit, which you've been able to diverse, diverse, uh, diversify. You just can't talk today, dude. Diversify yourself in all these different talents. Uh, but that is so important to really understand, especially from, I mean, me editing, it's like there's nothing or seeing editors who maybe don't think like that. And now they're cutting when you're not moving, or maybe you did a push and you started pulling back before that count was over and they leave that shit in. That drives me the most insane when oh, I see people. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you ever have uh, do you ever try to get feedback to the editors on that stuff? Um, I, I have tried in the past. I, I find that it doesn't really do that much good. Yeah. It's, they're going to cut it the way they're going to cut it and they're going to look at it totally differently. Like, you know, for example, um, the cuts with Nick, uh, there were a few moments in some of the videos for Justin Bieber where I was thinking to myself, Oh God, I hope they don't use that moment. You know, like as I'm operating, I'm like, Oh shit, I dipped below the eye line just a little bit. I, I chopped the hat off yeah. too far. It went to the eyebrows and it should have stayed up here. Right. And, uh, and then Nick uses that shot because he's looking at something totally different than I'm looking at. He's looking at dancing because yeah. he's a dancer and he's a choreographer and, uh, he's going to look for things that are totally different than me. That's so uh, funny. But I, I, I learned to not be attached to the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned to just like know that that's just part of it, uh, and just embrace it. Yeah. And I think that it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter because the people who are nitpicking that have to understand that that's not your, you probably wouldn't have preferred to have cut the head off, but you, it's not like you're in that at bay after every job, you'd never have a life if you had to do that shit. Yeah, exactly. It'd be, be kind of tight if you could run like a, if you could have like a little microphone ran into the, to just capture your voice notes, just so you could be like, don't, don't, don't use that part right there as you're backing up and you're just hearing one, two, three, four, one, two, don't use that part. Could what be, have we thought of I don't know, man. There's a way, there's a way to make markers. I, I, I think it was cool too, uh, going back to that, that one take, um, when you're planning the one take for, for this be review, let's just use this as an example cause it's fresh in my mind. Um, when you're planning this, how much of it is, uh, walk through on your part and how much do you change the choreography based on your limitations and what you're able to do? Cause I know Nick may have had an entire idea, but they may have to shift everything around according to how you move or where you can go. Or do you try to just give them everything that they could ever hope for and, and work around that? Yeah, I, I hardly ever ask for any changes or shifts in core, especially choreography, because I know that's set in stone. The dancers have been practicing it for weeks and weeks. When it comes to choreography, I really don't ask for that. Um, when it comes to uh, maybe the way that we do a particular move on like um, like a like narrative work, 
Um, I may ask for an actor to step, you know, to like banana out so right. that I miss, you know, the light stand or something like that. Um, banana out, of course, is the little, so people don't know. Uh, when an actor can like walk kind of like straighter around a corner or they can like go a little bit wider and that might make a better frame. So I'll ask for things like that. Right. But, but when it comes to choreography, it just, it just doesn't really make sense. If, it, if it's impossible for me to do something that a director's asked for, I'll just explain why it's impossible and I'll give them options. Like, yeah. um, a lot of times I've gotten the request of, okay, can you start with the camera like all the way down on the floor and then like come all the way up to their faces and I'm like, actually, I can't really do that unless you want me to like twist the camera from low mode to right. high mode. Um, there, are, there are, you know, there is equipment that will do that, like the Airy, uh Trinity, but that's not something that I own. Right. And so I just have to explain what the limitations of the equipment are. Hmm. And usually, I'm pretty much always the director's like, okay, I get that. I'm like, if you wanted to have that shot, that's something that you needed to talk to me about well in advance so I could rent the appropriate gear. But then it would have been like another $2,500 or $3,000. Yeah. Are you sure you want to spend that much to get that one look? And they're like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What it, I, I mean, from having done this, you said 15 years? Is that what you said? You've been doing Steadicam operating for 15 years? 13? Uh, yeah, about 12. A little 12? over 12. Uh, from having done it, what what are some of the standout projects that you've worked on? I, I'm sure that, I mean, you've done so many. You've just did nine days of work in the in nine days. You know what I mean? Like you've done so much shit. What are, what are some of the bigger moments for you? I, I know some of this, what I think is so interesting about building a career in this industry is you, you start doing some of the bigger projects and it's really cool. And then a lot of those just start to blend together after so much time. It's hard to recall those, but I'm curious to hear like, what are some of them for you? Well, we talked about the Justin Bieber one. Yeah. Um, had a really beautiful moment coming down. We, the last video that we shot was um, up at Mount Waterman. It's the one in the snow, top mm. of the mountain. Yeah. And I, it was the last one we shot. And I was coming down and I just, it, I had such a beautiful sense of accomplishment on that project because I feel like I go out for these shows and sometimes I get to use maybe 60 or 70% of the, like the total applicable skills that I have on any given project. It's very rare that I get to use all my skills. Right. Um, and that was one the, the the Justin Bieber project between all 15 videos, I feel like is one of the projects that stood out to me the most as something that I was pushed to the limit, even beyond what I knew, like some of the limitations where I thought were limitations or where the limits were, I discovered that they actually were further than I thought. So I got to push the envelope of my own creativity and I got to use every specific skill that I possess um, on that project spread across all 15 videos. So that was incredibly satisfying. Oh, I, I would say the it. same thing too for the, the Insomniac uh, live streams that I was doing over quarantine. And that one was particularly special for me because um, I've always loved electronic music. That's what I produce. Um, I produce uh, dubstep, bass house, and trap. And I, I've got to film with my favorite DJs, like hands down, like the guys that I've been, you know, listening to forever. Uh, and some of the newer guys that have come up, the newer DJs. Uh, and that, that also uh, tested my limits or pushed my limits. So those are the kind of projects that I love the most is 
when I come out of it and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I nailed that shot. Like on the Insomniac thing, um, I'm running a 16 to 35 uh, Canon still lens. And then I'm running, I, I got my, uh, my zoom handle set up that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically had that, I took delivery of the little part that allowed me to do that like about a week before I started shooting for Insomniac. And so now I just added a new skill and it unlocked us all this potential, especially um, like when you're pushing in with Steadicam, you're pushing in with Steadicam and you're zooming out with the lens simultaneously. Yeah. The 16 to 35 is not a very big throw. Mm. You know, it's like a two to one zoom. It's really not that much, but even just that little bit on a slow uh, zoom back with the, the speed of the push matching that, and how everything like there's like this uh de- like compression or decompression in the frame yeah and you can tell the camera's moving forward but you still see the same lights on the edge of frame that you were it's seeing at the trip. beginning of the shot and so it's it's trippy yeah no i remember um, it was it's cool to what, be able to tune into those streams like i saw you had posts about it and just be able to t- hop in and also just to understand how wild that's got to be to be shooting a live show for something that for a DJ to get on stage and to feel a crowd of a hundred thousand people. And then to, for a DJ to get on stage to a fucking studio with like you and two other people. And you may be a big fan, bro, but like, it's gotta be hard to perform at max volume and just be like fucking doing ill shit. Uh, but it felt, it felt good. It felt like it had high energy and that, and that's, what's exciting to watch. It really did. It's so yeah. It that, did. It was fun because I felt like I literally felt like I was the only audience member. I have two two camera guys uh, at forty five degree angles to the stage. Yeah. So I do have like I do have those two guys there, but really like I'm walking all the way up to the DJ. I'm making eye contact with the DJ, and I would get up there for like um, you know say my name or uh, uh, Foss or some of these like you know huge like trap dubstep DJs that I love so much. And I'd get up there and I'd be doing my move and I'd be like, you know, as I was doing, I would smile at them and it would just line them up. They're like, hey, an audience member. Right, right. Yeah. You're like, you're killing it. You're killing it. (laughs) Just talking to them. I'd be like, I told them afterwards, I'd be like, if I wasn't uh, on the front row with my camera, I'd be on the front row at the rail. Right. Right. No, that's so cool, man. I love, I love those stories. And I think it's so unique to hear even just being able to flex all of the talents that you've gained over that time with 15 different music videos. I mean, at a certain point they they're going to need it because you don't want something to be redundant on a 15 music video series. You're able to bring out all kinds of new flavors in each video and add new flair to all these things, which I think is so unique. And that's what makes you a standout player, a person that someone would want on their team. I'm also, I guess as we kind of went dwindle down, I would love to hear about um, when people are trying to get into the space and maybe they haven't made the investment yet, or maybe they did finally buy their first best, wh- how could they get on set, maybe in an assistant type role to shadow, if possible, shadow someone like you or, or to get, this goes for any steady cam operator out there that they may be reaching out to a cinematographer in general, but what advice would you give to someone that's trying to, trying to, uh, step in your shoes? Um, take the low paying jobs. That's what I did when I first landed in LA. I had uh, I had my Steadicam and I had my Red camera, my Red One. I was one of the first 100 people to own a Red One. Holy shit! And I didn't even market myself as a Steadicam op, um, but I I I had it. I had the Steadicam so that I could do my own Steadicam and these low budget features that I was shooting at the time. And what I ended up doing is just basically working for like every every chance I could get. 
Um, I was even on Craigslist at the beginning. I was like uh, underbidding DSLR shooters with my red just to get on set, just to meet people, just to make contacts. Wow. So in there, I shouldn't even say this, but like in the early days, there were a few times I didn't go this low in my rates very often, but there were a few times where I would do like steady cam and bring a camera for like 250 bucks just to get the contacts and to bring a red <laughs> to bring a red. Holy fucking shit. At the time, what was the, what did the red cost when it came out? You were one of the first 100 people and you were doing jobs for $250. <laughs> I was in LA and nobody knew me. Right, I made a name for myself in action sports, but I didn't want to do action sports anymore. Um, I wanted to like work in real Hollywood Yeah, and, uh, that was, that was what was in front of me. Right. I, was, I was like, I was scrambling. I was almost homeless a couple of times. It was so difficult to build any contacts because it was just really hard to get on set. But I, but the more you do it, the more experience you have, the more your skills build. Um, it's not, if you're brand, brand new, a producer is going to understand this and realize this. You're not really going to have a real, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, the other thing is, is when you do get on these low budget sets, um, if you're just, you know, just starting out, uh, try to work out a deal with the producer so that you can get footage. It works a lot easier on music videos because music videos are high turnaround. Feature films, not so much because you shoot a feature, it goes through post, it goes through distribution, and the feature might come out like two years later. Right. And by that time, it's really hard to like go back and track down like where, who has footage and what you can use. Right. So music videos are a way to cut your teeth quick have access to the footage quick because the video gets released quick. Once the video is released, they don't care, you know, what footage gets seen by who. Right. Um, but try to work that deal out so that you can uh, get copies of the footage. Um, and then just, uh, you know, practice. And when you're brand new, you're not going to be able to charge as much, obviously. Um, there's like, I still once in a while get calls for super low budget numbers. And of course I turn them down because it's not, you know, worth it to me at this point but it was worth it to me back when i didn't have a name for myself nobody who knew who i was of course and that's really what you got to do no, is just that. uh develop the name and build the contacts and um maybe even sometimes work for free no uh, yeah, i did yeah. that too that's so it's just, the path man yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an important path to take but it, it is it's so interesting when you think about it and i think a lot of people come into it now feeling because they have studied or they've practiced or whatever that they just deserve it out the gate. But everyone knows people already. So you're trying to get in that Rolodex and to get into that Rolodex, you have to potentially be better than someone they already know doing it, you know, and, and how are they ever going to know if you don't, if they don't see your work? Right. It's a challenge. Take take the low paying jobs. If they start you out at like, you know, 500 bucks, that's really low for a steady cam operator. Do it. Right. Get the footage, build your reel. Once you have a, a really good reel built up after a while, um, you can raise your rates and you know more people. And then you can uh, talk to the producers and say, hey, I know that you've been bringing me out for this rate, but in the future, can we like raise that up to 750 or 1,000 or 1,500, you know? And there's, there's, op- there's operators that, you know, are I consider to be like above me in the industry in terms of like, how much they make and who they work for. The guys were doing the Marvel movies, you know, those guys are, they're making quite a bit more than I'm making and they're working on a lot bigger, you know, projects. Um, but there's, there's always a tier to start with and then just, you know, move your way up. Right. And if you start at the bottom, that's great. Except that that's where you are and just start working your way up. I'm still working my way up too. 
Yeah. Is that, is that end goal for you is to be doing big, big features and, and progressing to that level? Is it just constantly doing features or, or what, what's your plan? Um, you know, I would really, that's a bucket list thing. Actually, one of my big goals is to, okay, drum roll. I don't got it, but I got it. I know. I was like, do I have (laughs) drum rolls? I was like, I don't fucking know. Maybe I have, I got that. I got that little (laughs) rim shot sound, but it is good. Almost. (laughs) Sorry. You said, what did you say it was? Um, one of my bucket list goals is to work with Chris Hemsworth on Mm -hmm. a Thor movie. That would be, that would make too much sense. And you know, I'm carrying my hammer, which is my steady cam, and he's carrying his. That would it's be a dream. That would it's be a dream iconic. to do that. My fingers are crossed for you, friend. Um, <laughs> and that that's not the only thing. I actually uh, future goals. Um, I'd like to design my own steady cam. Mm. Um, I have a design that I'm working on right now. Uh, I don't have the funding for it or anything like that yet, but you know, those things take time to develop. Um, as far as like future goals, like you were saying, uh, the Chris Hemsworth thing, doing my own city cam, basically just like uh, continuing as well on the path that I'm on. I love shooting music videos. Um, it, there's a creativity to it. There's a like in a, in a narrative, you're generally locked into a very specific type of, of camera work. You know, you know that your close-ups are gonna be here. You know that most of the time you're gonna be in high mode. You're going to be following the action of the characters. Uh, with music videos, though, I, I can do like the full camera spin. Um, yeah. I can just get like super, super creative with the camera moves, and that in and of itself is is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I, I love that, man. I, my fingers are crossed for you. I think I think it's it's coming very shortly because you're just a fucking legend with this shit. I, I we got to get you in here when when this is over. We're I think we'll probably start doing in person interviews. I guess again end of july or some shit since we're all going back to regular life but you gotta get in here and i would love to hear how it all started and everything too because that would be a cool cool thing to have documented at least for right now and then we'll get you back when chris hires you we'll talk about the experience of of thor versus thor you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) that'd be amazing maybe i could come in with uh maybe some specific clips or something like that i could kind of break them down hell yeah Um, oh yeah bro maybe have some video of, of what I do to set up my sled and stuff like that. That'd I think great. there's a lot of things we can do there and keep pushing the education, but, um, so going back to the gimbal steady cam, uh, concept. Yeah. So something revolutionary happened to me, um, when I was doing the gimbal teching, uh, steady cam, usually, uh, when you balance your sled, usually like you put it up to, uh, where it's horizontal, like the cameras here and the batteries at the bottom are here and you let go of the battery and it like swings down. Right. And most operators uh, do like a three to five second uh, fall time. And when I was balancing the, the uh, movie, when I was in movie tech, um, I saw that the goal was to get the cage that the camera's in, you know, like basically uh-huh. if you're perfectly balanced, you can have the motors off and you can twist the camera and let go and it stays. Right. Or you can tilt it, let it go and it stays. And I thought, why aren't we doing that with Steadicam? Because Steadicam is a mechanical gimbal, but it's still a gimbal. It's still a three-axis gimbal. It's just mechanical. And on a Steadicam, you don't have electric motors. You have your hand. Your hand is the motor. And so I actually learned something incredibly valuable from from the Moby side, from the gimbal side. And that's how I balance my sled now. I balance it exactly like an electronic gimbal. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. 
Damn. That's, that was, that was a huge breakthrough. So that's what I wanted to send out there for anybody that is looking to actually, you know, get into it themselves. Um, if you could figure out the dynamics of your sled and where to put all the parts and pieces and the ratio of weight on the bottom of your sled and so forth. And you can find that balancing point where you take your sled and anywhere you put it, it just stays when you let go. And that's, that's called neutral balance or zero G balance. Mm. And, uh, that's something that I'm, I'm really promoting at this point. I think that's like the new school of steady cam and would love to see the, the next up and coming generation of, of operators, uh, doing that. Cause I think it's going to, uh, I think it's going to lead to, you know, more operators basically doing what I do. No, that's awesome, man. Well, shit. Thank you again for sharing yeah. this info, dude. You're, you're a fucking beast. Again, I'll say it a million times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good rest of your lockdown and we'll hopefully see you in July. Right. No shit. (laughs) All right. Later, man. (laughs) That's it for episode 197. Huge shout out to Thor for coming on the show. Make sure to subscribe to Black Widow Cream Podcast if you are not already. We are well on our way to 200 episodes. Can you believe that? Uh, Every time I hit 100, I think at 50, um, I calculate how much time that means that I talked. Uh, consecutively over a course of hours and it's pretty absurd so I'm excited to see what the total is for 200 but anyway thanks for subscribing I love you to death if you have if you haven't yet I don't know what's up with you you must be hating but also loving the Black and Cream podcast and all the information you get from it and the least you could do is hit that sub button you know what I'm saying um, now nah, that's it actually that's not it if you could do us a solid go to Apple Podcasts even if you don't use it go to the little review section and just type a review Okay, more reviews helps us grow. It's like Yelp for restaurants. You want a bunch of five stars so you know that their steaks are shit. And when you go there, the steaks gonna be the shit. So we already know the podcast is fire. And when your review comes out and says, yo, the podcast is fire, they just they just come together so well. You know what I mean? Uh, that's it. I'm done talking. Thanks for listening to this episode. And, um, you know, we out here every Wednesday and Sunday. So we'll see you in a few days, you bitch. bitch.